0: You're listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. A few months ago, um, I had the privilege and uh, strange pleasure of speaking at my wife's boss's mother's funeral. Uh, it was really a strange, strange thing. It was the first thing, um, being a young pastor, I guess it's kind of a first time for everything. I have a lot of people that are like, You're a pastor? How old, how old are you? And I'm like, No one's born. 50, and when they passed, her, are like, you, you've got to get older, and uh, it will happen to me as well. So I'm having all these uh, interesting experiences for the first time, going to hospitals and praying over people that are on their deathbeds and performing weddings and ceremonies, and it's just an interesting thing. And uh, as they asked me to do the prayer and message at the viewing, uh, I stood before uh, a woman I never met behind me, families crying uh, hysterically. And I'm supposed to share a message. Uh, it was really, extremely strange. I can't even put words to it. If you've ever had somebody close um, pass away to you, there's nothing in that moment that anyone can say to you already. Uh, and it's, isn't it almost, I wouldn't say as bad, but it's just so strange you want to say something to that person, don't you? Just to comfort them, and you can. What do, what do you say to a person in that place? It's amazing because it's in moments of death that like, reality becomes so real. It, r- it really does. Uh, the routine of like waking up and going to work and eating at the same restaurant every week and seeing the same people and just blitzing through your days. It's at that moment when things become incredibly real. Now, Don't worry, I'm not going to talk about death all morning. So uh, it's it's going to get better, but I just want to simply say this: When Jesus says to us, as we're in a series on the Beatitudes, "Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted," and blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's only in those moments that's really the only thing that you can say. But there's a total difference between mourning and coping. This morning, I want to talk about the biblical basis for our hope in Christ, what it means to be comforted, and that it's entirely different from coping. Um, we see really quickly, and I, I don't want to focus too much on death because that's just one element in this grand picture, but mourning's not confined just to death, uh, it's not. Maybe you've had a relationship that, you, uh, that broke off or a friend that moved away and there's a part of not just grieving but real mourning that takes place. Maybe you had a job interview that you went for and it fell apart. Whatever it is, there's elements of mourning. Mourning is almost as if the emotions, if you take sand in your hand and watch it pass through your hands and it's like mourning's the emotions of letting go of something that's already been let go. It's the embracing the change that's inevitable that's already changed. It's something that you don't only cope with it, but it's like as if it's moving forward. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, as we're working through the Beatitudes together, he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's interesting because this word blessed here we talked about doesn't just mean when somebody sneezes, we say, bless you. But Paul the Apostle uses this in the book of Romans. How many people know that the Bible wasn't written in English? That's, that's good news. It was written primarily Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek. And I know somebody's sitting there going Aramaic. Okay, it's like 10 verses, so let it go. It's primarily primarily Hebrew and Greek. And in this, the word that's blessed is used or often translated meaning happy or satisfied. So in 1 Timothy, Paul the Apostle would refer to our God and Savior as the only sovereign Blessed Lord, uh, He's not saying blessed as in he was lacking blessing and he needed to be blessed. He was saying blessed as in happy, satisfied. Romans chapter 4, uh, it talks about blessed is the man who's forgiven, his sins aren't held against him. He's happy and satisfied. Now, happy, he's not talking about an emotion here, but he's saying satisfied, someone that's deeply satisfied. So what we talked about last week, and we have to carry this understanding over into this week as well, is that the Beatitudes are descriptive, not prescriptive. They're descriptive, not prescriptive. And in fact, most of the message of the scripture is descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, it's like this. We often take a Bible verse, and almost like a fortune cookie. We crack it open, and it says, if you do this, you will get that. That is not the angle that the scripture is written from. Often, actually, no, I shouldn't say often, almost always the scripture is written to people that have already experienced God's redemptive work through Christ and then the scripture is describing what their lives look like in light of the event. So we use a phrase saying that the gospel is primarily news about what Christ has done, not the life that I live. We've got to distinguish those two. The gospel is primarily the news of what Christ has accomplished, which brings about results in my life. So I can't read the Bible just as moral commandments or rules or regulations, because that's not it. If you divorce the news of what Christ has done from the morals of Christianity, you're left with no good news. What distinguishes and separates Christianity Is that every other religion has a prophet, sage, wise man, often lacking hair, comes forward? Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, Comes forward and says, Follow me, this is the way to God. Christianity, unlike that, says, What? God has come to you. Every other religion says, Here is the moral tightrope, the bridge, whatever analogy you want to use, and says, If you do these things, you will inherit. Nirvana, uh, destiny—you'll inherit a planet. You'll inherit some sort of prize. But Christianity's—it's totally flipped on reverse, verse. And this is the good news. So the gospel is primarily news, historical facts. So we don't look at it and wonder, "Did it? Like, uh, what do I have to do to be saved?" We look at it and say, "Something already happened." So the election already happened. Whether you love or don't love the results, it happened. It's news. So you don't get a vote anymore. Like, it's done. So if you're on Facebook trying to tap out a vote, give up. It's done. Four years? I don't really care. It's done. It's fact. It's settled. We have a new president, which we need to pray for, bless, and just absolutely serve this country. And I, I want to make one note, just hopefully to offend a couple people, because that's what I'm best at, I'm told. I want to tell you, I am so thankful for our president. I am so thankful. And if you are discouraged or encouraged, both of those responses, I think, uh, really, we shouldn't really have to either have either of them. If you're encouraged, I'm super happy for you. If you're discouraged, get encouraged. The the reason I'm saying it is this. Jesus, the Christianity is not contingent on a candidate. I think it was absolutely God's wisdom to show us we were not voting for a pastor-in-chief. I think that's good news. We, we were not voting in a pastor here. We were voting in a president. And because of that, God doesn't sit on his throne and go, right, if I would have had candidate A or if I could have had candidate B, things would have been a little bit better. I'm simply saying this. God's kingdom will be established regardless of candidate. I love that 1 Peter says we should pray for those that are in authority that we can live quiet lives and advance God's kingdom. I'm not here to preach a candidate. I'm here to save people's souls through the redemptive work of Christ. That's incredible news. I didn't wait. I didn't go to sleep with one emotion and wake up with the next. I didn't wake up and go, man, I'm not really sure how it's going to go. If anything, I'm more excited today than ever before. We bless our president. We pray for them. And we want to influence government, absolutely. But I'm so thankful that it has nothing to do with what candidate is in office. The truth is, if the other candidate would have got in, I probably would have woke up with the same thing and said the same thing to you. Because Jesus Christ is not Republican or Democrat. Praise God. Seriously, and if you think Jesus is Republican, uh, we're gonna pray for you. We got a straight jacket and some juice. We need you to drink later. All right, okay. Work through this. So the idea of this is that the gospel is primarily. Sorry about that. Someone's like, "Hold on, I got to drink a what?" Listen, I didn't say I'm Democrat or Republican. Everyone's like, "What is he?" I'm a pastor. Get over it. All right, this isn't my job's not politics. It's Jesus. So, Matthew chapter 5 is showing us that the Beatitudes are not prescriptive. It's not something I take and apply to my life. It's something that has already happened in my life. So, maybe you've seen the show, uh, and I'm sorry, I don't actually know what happens in this show. So, if there's something completely carnal and full of debauchery, I apologize. Have you ever seen the show Big Brother? I have no clue what the premise of it is. So, if there's something behind that that's awful, all I know is that they spy on people in a house and then they live and do stuff. I don't know how you win that. I don't really win at home. Aaron reminds me of that often. I don't know how you win uh, living with somebody. Uh, I'm not really quite sure what that is, but um, maybe you've seen those shows. There was another show that recently came out, Glass House or Glass Party, something or other like that, where people live in a glass thing and they voted. I I don't understand it. To me, it's just odd, but whatever it is, in essence, the Beatitudes are God's alternate society. We are peeking in through this glass, looking at the life of what the kingdom of God does in a person's heart. So we stand back at the scripture, and we look into a society who's been transformed by grace, and we're peering in saying, this is what the gospel the objective nature of the gospel does subjectively. This is what the news, in light of the news of what Christ has done, this is what it brings about in my life. And Jesus, as we discussed last week, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Now, this one is considered, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Some commentators refer to this as an appendage. Um, that's a kind of a weird word for me to work through. But it's not to be separated from its own. But you'll actually see that the Beatitudes aren't pearls on a necklace that stand alone. But they're telling a story of God's alternate society. People that have been transformed by grace. This is how they then live. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I was trying to find a a word picture or a story or some kind of analogy. I love pictures and words and stories because it just helps me anchor my thoughts on them rather than just staying in the abstract and uh, i came across a a story um really i have no clue how to be honest with you i was studying just kind of looking through greek mythology is anybody like those types of movies i'm just glad we don't dress like that anymore but um I I really enjoy the Clash of the Titans and whatever, Lord of the Rings, and that's not even the same thing. But uh, I really like all those types of movies that just, they've got good, they've got good, you know, stuff to them. In Greek mythology, it's interesting, there is a story of a goddess, uh, Aurora actually is her name, and she was the goddess of the sun. Her job was to unlock the sun every morning. So every time the sun would come up, and in poetry and some of the writings about it, it talks about her having rosy cheeks and rosy fingertips and rosy elbows. I'm not sure how you get the sun up with your elbows, but whatever she did, she did. And somehow, though, she uh, got Zeus angry, and in getting Zeus angry, he cursed her with uh, an insatiable sexual appetite, uh, which is quite the, quite the curse. So she goes to Zeus and says, Zeus... Um, I want to make these, she chooses four men and chooses these four men and asks that they would be given immortality so that she could be, uh, unsatiably satisfied, I guess. it's getting, it's only going to stay PG-13. Don't, don't worry. This is, this is it. But she's cursed with this thing. And she first asks that one man would be granted, uh, immortality. And he is, and she's of course, uh, now, have to love her for eternity. And then she goes and asks another man, uh, she says, Zeus, can uh, I have another one to be blessed with immortality? And he blesses him with immortality, but she forgets to ask for eternal youth. And now, this man who is blessed with eternal life is now aging every day, fading away. There's some some of the poems talk about he can barely move his eyes and lift his arms, and he's cursed with this eternal life. Isn't that wild? When I saw that, it came alive in my heart. I thought, see, the hope of the gospel is not that we just get eternal life, but there's something that takes place. See, eternal life without a change of something isn't a blessing, it's a curse. So it's almost as if when we encounter death or situations and we mourn, we're not just mourning for an extension of this life. We're mourning because something inside us knows that this isn't right, that this isn't the way that humanity is supposed to function or operate. When somebody dies, it's not just we wish we had them around longer or forever. Even age shows us that we're longing for some sort of renewal or restoration. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Thessalonians, chapter 4. Uh, We're going to move quickly through this, and I really, really, really need um, your attention so that you don't just take what I'm saying and put it under another umbrella of what you've already heard. I'm asking this morning that you could see something with me through a different perspective. Uh, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. If you don't have your Bible or uh, you just want to look at the screen, you're welcome to Read with me. Now, just a quick context, Paul the Apostle is writing this to a church that was established, and he's trying to clear up all of this confusion about, A, the end of the world, which is, uh, I feel even strange holding a mic and saying that because of how many wacky preachers there are. Uh, B, the return of Jesus also feels strange because of how many wacky preachers there are that talk about this. And Paul's trying to clear up misconceptions and saying, this is what happens. So he starts off by saying this to the church. We are not of those. Brothers, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who are fallen asleep. He's talking about those that have already passed away or died. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul's saying outside of Christ, life is just another biological cycle. Outside of Christ, outside of real lasting hope, all life is in the end. You kind of have one of two paths You either are just an extreme hedonist because you look at it and go, you know what, someday I'm going to be dog food. Or particles that you breathe in. Kind of creepy. I watched a movie last night with Aaron, extremely loud and incredibly close. Maybe you've seen that movie. And in it, this young boy, Tom Hanks, plays his father. His name's Oscar. He struggles with this idea that his dad passed away. Uh, in the World Trade Center collapse. I don't mean to blow the movie for you, but he goes on this entire journey trying to figure out his dad was buried in a casket that was empty. His dad died in the trade centers, and he says to his mom this line in the movie, you're breathing in dad right now. Why did you bury him in a casket? You're breathing him in in the air. And then he goes on to talk about how it's in the dog uh, deposit on the ground. He starts to say, that. why did you do that? There's no hope. Dad's not here anymore. He's just back into the grand scheme of life, back into just the biological. He's went from dust. He's back to dust. There is no hope. And it's interesting, in that movie, she actually answers with no hope. She just copes. But Christianity shows us something different. He says that we don't want you to be uninformed as if those that die and those that pass away, we don't have hope. He says this, that we have hope. What is it? That Christ is returning. But, but watch this. I want you to see the hope's not us getting to heaven. I'm going to say this line. I want, please follow with the text. The hope's not us getting to heaven. The hope is heaven coming to earth. Hope's not us escaping The hope is God's kingdom coming to earth. He says this, For since we believe that Jesus died and arose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, let me just bring some setting to this. Maybe you're skeptical or doubting this morning, uh, and I understand that. What I have to take the scripture, let me just say this. We take from the resurrection, if Jesus died, Paul constantly refers to the resurrection. Because some of this, honestly, in 2012, looks like it has no application. I'm reading a book that's 2,000 years old telling me about Jesus coming back. And everybody and their mother wondered, why did that guy put that billboard up on 81 a few months ago that said, Judgment Days May, what was it? May 1st or something like that. And then the Mayans are saying it's... Is it the end of this year? December 21st? Man, we better get living. No, I'm kidding. See, that's garbage. And to be honest with you, it's amazing to me that Christians would read a Mayan calendar and say, let's forget what the scripture says. Let's take some Mayan who was drinking some whatever who predicted maybe he didn't know how to count past 2012. Just saying. Maybe he figured by that time things should wrap up. Or you know what? We're all dumb enough. This thing's going to break down. But instead we have believers that sit there. I had a girl call me one time and go, Jared, I just saw the uh, 2012 or whatever that movie was called. and uh, Which is a terrible, terrible, terrible movie. If you've ever watched that. If you haven't, man, invest your time in something that is more profitable. That is a awful produced movie. I mean... It's down there with, like, Space Jam. It's bad. It's real bad. Listen, I, MJ, I'm saying it's bad, though. There's stuff in that that, like, it just doesn't even click, man. It's like wearing a shoe that's, like, five sizes too small. It's weird. So, if you watch the movie, save your time. But I'm just simply saying it's amazing that, as believers, we so often let culture determine what Christianity looks like, the end of the world. And we start hearing these things. And part of us, is, and to be honest with you, I'm so fed up with people declaring the date when Jesus says nobody knows, every time they do that, it makes me, a preacher, look so stupid. Because now I fit under the umbrella and the category of something that's not even what Jesus said. And I want to draw us back to the scripture this morning, see what Christ is talking about, because I will tell you, Jesus doesn't talk about name dates or phone numbers or anything like that when he's coming back. He simply says, I'm coming, and I want to show you something. This This is a different perspective. As I said, It's not just about us getting to heaven, it's about heaven coming to earth. And let me give you some good news, maybe you're hearing this for the first time. I didn't invent this, don't be worried. Uh, There are large, large, large streams of denominations that hold exactly to this. Um, Maybe you are fascinated with left behind books, uh, and if you are, that's between you and yourself. Uh, If you are, let me just simply say this, if you travel anywhere outside of the uh, local 50 states, that theology is not um, widespread. It's a nice book. I'm just simply saying, let's let the Bible speak to us this morning. If you love those books, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just simply saying that there's other streams of theology outside of, outside of fiction. So, I'm just saying. Alright, we'll continue. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, And with the sound of the trumpet of God. Watch this. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, those that remain, that's all we know, that there will come a time and people will still be alive on the earth, will be caught up with him together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will always be with the Lord. It's interesting. Paul the Apostle here is speaking to us we if we're not careful we read this as if it's just straight up literal facts and not understanding the narrative and the context in which Paul is writing see this bible is extremely jewish it's extremely jewish now i'm not saying it's jewish i'm saying its roots are found in jewish history jesus was jewish in case you're wondering this bible finds its roots in judaism now, it's modified in many levels. It's not an extension. It's not a cousin. It's a radical modification due to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But its context is first century Judaism uh, and even stretch out beyond that. And what Paul is doing here is that he is alluding to something. So much more radical than we let ourselves look at this and say, So Jesus is telling me someday He's gonna return. We're all gonna be caught up in the air, and we're gonna be with him forever, and then what happens to the earth? Kind of blows up, things happen, Armageddon. I read something about Revelation about blood as knee high or high as the horse's bridle. Lord, I'm blood. I'm not a big fan of blood. I I donate blood and I'm ready just I'm ready to be done. So what was Jesus trying to communicate here? What's Paul saying? Those that are alive will meet him in the air and leave. See, so much of our theology, if not careful, even conflicts itself to the point where, as if this has been read read so so many times, that they're saying, I'm accepted in Christ. Now, I jettison from this world, and the world is destroyed. But Paul's alluding to something far more powerful. He says that those that are alive will be caught up together in the air. Paul is referring to and referencing an Old Testament picture of when a dignitary or a king comes back from battle, that those that are in the city come out of the city, and in the city they come back together in glorious triumph. Maybe you'll remember the story of Jesus on his way into uh, Jerusalem, as it says, and towards the end of his life on Palm Sunday. How many people know what Palm Sunday is about? Everybody waves palms and you're younger, you cut it out and color it and stuff like that. What is that about? The city went out to meet Jesus and he rode in and they celebrated crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, salvation, salvation. And then they came together in a triumphal procession and marched back with him into the city saying that this is king. See, what that was was not just happenstance. We're like, oh, Jesus outside? Why would you do that? When somebody comes over to your house, you don't often go to their car and say, let's walk into my house together. In our culture, if we know someone's coming over, not come in. What's he alluding to here? He's alluding to an Old Testament picture of a king returning from battle, victorious. And the people of the city go out to celebrate outside the city to meet the dignitary. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, maybe you saw the royal wedding, and if you did... We also have a room with a straight jacket for you. I'm kidding. No, but maybe you maybe you really paid attention to the royal wedding that recently took place and all of the incredible things. How many people know there's a procession that goes with it? It wasn't just her walking down an aisle and going, all right, have a great day. Thank you so much for coming. There was so much that happened. There was a celebration that before they ever got there. See, we're in a democracy in which we live, <clears throat> as Americans, we so kind of just bypass that, kind of the pompous understanding, of the celebration, but... What Paul's referring to here is this, that when Christ returns to us, we're not just being caught up in the air to be whisked off into heaven, we're meeting Christ in the air and then what? Returning with him. The hope of the gospel is not that, listen, not that God makes all new new things, but he makes all things new. Revelation chapter 21 says that this same earth is going to be restored. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's no hope in us escaping this earth. The hope is that He's returning to it to set up His kingdom. So when we're caught up in the air with Him, we're not whisked away. And I understand maybe if you have uh, been raised in other backgrounds, I would encourage you. I'd love to point you in some resources to study this out. I'm just simply saying this, the joy of this... The hope that we have is not just that we're jettisoning up this world, but that God's going to redeem the same world. Wow! Uh, I don't know if that's exciting to you, but that's exciting to me. See, Christianity in the past 150 years has adopted something that almost fights against our very purposes. Now, I'm not a big fan of driving into dead ends. It's amazing, though, Christianity has become such an escapist theology, but it's almost like, I'm a Christian, I can't wait to get out of this world, someday I'm going to leave. The hope of the gospel is not that we're just going to Christ, but Christ is coming again to us. They wanted a lion when Jesus first showed up. Maybe you'll remember, I'll share another angle. When Christ first came to the earth, the reason the Jews crucified him wasn't because he was a mean guy. It's because he didn't fit what they thought the Messiah would be. Their understanding of the Messiah was that this man would come and the Messiah would free them from political tyranny and that he would show up as a lion. And we understand that Jesus didn't come as a lion. He came as a lamb. Jesus shows up and lays his life down and they go, that's not what we want in a Messiah. What we want in a Messiah is a conquering politician. Go figure. Think about it. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I'm not not coming like that. I'm coming to lay down my life. He lays down his life. But we understand that God came as a lamb first, but when he returns, he's coming as a lion to make all things new. Not all new things. The hope of the gospel is not a couple of us Christians gets whisked away from here. All the other religions on the earth and all the other people, it's just like, oh, see you later. No, the hope of the gospel is that those right now in Christ, we can be reconciled to God and join him in his new kingdom. Join him in his new kingdom. Our hope then is calling people to repentance, calling people from other faiths to say, listen, we have true hope. Our hope's not in heaven out past Mars. Our hope is that this is all going to be made new. That racism will finally be destroyed. That's really good news. That sickness will be blotted out once and for all. When Jesus, in the beginning, uh, I shouldn't say Jesus, I should say the Lord referring to Trinity. When they created the earth, they said, and he looked at it and said it was good. I've got great news. He never said it was no longer good. This earth, it's not like he's given up on it. Jesus didn't come, listen, Jesus didn't come just to take people away. If that's our, I, I would really please, I would challenge you, study, study that out because Jesus didn't come to take people away. Jesus showed up and said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. The hope that we have in Christ. The hope. We're not of those who mourn without hope. We're not of those that grieve without hope. Think about it. It's not that we just die and then we move our status from here to there as if it's our new residence as if we have, listen to me from our analogy before, as if we now have immortality without forever youthfulness, that's not a blessing. The scripture speaks so much about a bodily resurrection. That the hope that I have in Christianity is that, I said it last week, this is not, I know you can't figure out this, and my, it's almost like my message and my incredible good looks contradict one another. I understand that. It's a it's, it's struggle. I'm going to get a glorified body. I know everyone's like, how is he going to look any better than he does today? Aaron, get ready. It's going to be great. I'm going to look better than I did. I know everyone's I like, man, he's such an arrogant jerk. I'm kidding with you this morning. If you don't have a sense of humor, we also have a jacket for you over there and something. No, I'm kidding. The, the, the hope that we have, the real hope in the gospel Is not that I'm just living this life and then going to heaven and it's the same thing, but that there's a restoration, a renewal, The things will be made whole again. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. There's no comfort in coping. (laughs) Parents, I'd like to invite you to our new Kids Week coming up. I'm kidding. If you have your Bibles, look with me again. Matthew chapter 5 in the, in the Beatitudes and you'll see the very thing that we're speaking of. Remember we talked about the Beatitudes aren't single, these aren't fortune cookies to crack open that Jesus is saying, hey, how do you like me? How do you like this? How do you like this? How do you like this? He's telling us a story. And it says this, and he went up on a mountainside and he called his disciples to him. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. What's their comfort? What, what's their comfort? What's their comfort? Look at verse 5. Jesse's gonna preach on this next week. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What's the comfort? Comfort's not that I'm going to heaven, the comfort's heaven's coming back here. The, The comfort is that God's kingdom, blessed are the poor in look how he's telling this story. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. He's telling the same story again. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. What incredible news we have in Christ! Paul tells us, as we referenced in Thessalonians, let this news encourage you. Why does this encourage me? Why why am I encouraged that God's kingdom is coming to earth? And I got news for you today. Maybe you're sitting here, and you and the um, order of what I mentioned to you maybe feels disjunct. Whether your um, end times or es, eschatology, whether your view is dispensational, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, amillennial, post-millennial, pre-millennial, mid-millennial, whatever, which I don't think there's a mid-millennial, but if, whatever it is. The hope of all of those things is a new earth. The hope of all of this is a new earth. I'm just simply saying this. The goal of Christianity is us not getting out of here, but us coming back here. I'm going to be in this, maybe not in the same church. It's probably not going to look the same. We're not going to do the same service. We're going to have Jesus Christ here and not just through the ministry of the word and through the presence of his Holy Spirit, but we're going to have him here. And the nations that rage against will be made new. That is incredible hope. Who's Jesus? Why do we have hope in him? The resurrection is the message of God's new world being unveiled in Jesus Christ, inviting us to belong to it. N.T. Wright says it like that, great scholar, the message of the resurrection is God's new world, unveiled through Jesus Christ, saying, you can come in. When we say these songs, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, this story is far more beautiful. It's not just about us getting to heaven. It's about him restoring all things. Why does that encourage us? What, what does that do for us practically? Maybe you sit here this morning and say, well, great, basically Jared said that I've got, I shouldn't mourn. I should get a, wear a jacket. I don't trust city lights with my kids because it sounds like they're screaming downstairs. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Well, what, what's, what's, the, what's the hope? Why does this encourage us? It encourages us because your work matters now. Your life matters now. It's not that we just go through this life for the next 60 years or 70 years and hope that things pass. It's not that I just ask a couple people, say, you can be forgiven of sin. For what? So that you can sit in heaven for all of eternity. As much that sounds good, I feel like that cheapens what the Bible sells us. It's not just about us getting to heaven. The truth is we're inviting people into a place that no one would turn down, a place that's made new, a world that's perfect. I know you might sit here and think that sounds new agey. It's not. It's Bible. You have the hope of restoration where pain and sickness and disease, I can't paint this For you. Your wildest dream. This isn't Willy Wonka. This is the kingdom of God. Everything's new. Why are those that mourn comforted? Why? What hope is it that I'm mourning comforted? The hope is that comfort is not just coping, but I'm going to have a new body here. A new earth here relationships, this world is finally going to function like it's supposed to. All of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the earthquakes, all of the disease, all of the racism, all of, all of the just disgust of this world, all of the tension, all of that's going to be done. And Jesus Christ says, I'm inviting you to be a part of that world. Listen, not just when you die, Now. The hope that I'm going to be a part of his eternal kingdom lets me be a part of it now. Remember, again, the alternate society. The church isn't just supposed to be a bunch of people that gather together each week and talk about living good lives for God. It's supposed to be an alternate society that the world can peek in through the glass and say, that's what life's supposed to look like. That's what marriage is supposed to look like. That's what love's supposed to look like. like. That's what forgiveness, that's what, that's what relationships, the, the, the church is the alternate society. We haven't done a very good jo- job at that. That's our calling. And Christ isn't going to give up until we model that. I hope this is good news to you this morning. If it's not, then I've, I apologize for not relaying it in a better way. I pray God's word did. If it offends you, um, depending on which part, I apologize Uh, I do. Um, If you would like to dialogue or discuss this, I would be more than pleased to sit down and walk through this with you. And I'm not a combative person. I'm not trying to convince you. I'd love to show you the hope that we have in Christ. I would love to show you. He's not just making all new things. He's making all things new. Wow. Let's pray. Father, thank you. This morning... That the hope of the kingdom of God is not that you are going to destroy this world and then we are going to be whisked away to an eternal kingdom. But the hope is that you have an alternate society in the now. That your kingdom is already here. And Father, we respond uh, in the brokenness of the world right now and say we want to be a part. We want to model for this world what it looks like to love what it looks like to forgive, what it looks like to be transformed by your grace. Lord, use City Lights Church as an alternate society. Let the world peek in and say, that's how we're to work. That's how we're to live. That's how we're to love. That's how we're to forgive. Lord, thank you. We pray this in Christ's beautiful name. Amen.